0: Any other text messages?
1: Okay, so what do we got here? Let me see here. Do, 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 do. Let me try this one. Okay, so this one goes back to uh, mathematics being racist. And the idea of mathematics being racist is that it implies that there is a correct... Sorry, uh, mathematics implies... Uh, well, I was going to say normal mathematics or classical mathematics, but mathematics in itself implies that there is a right answer and by implying there's a right answer, you imply that there is an incorrect answer. Somehow that or rather that is racist, and it's definitely, you know, against postmodernism, which says that there's no such thing as an incorrect answer. I, anyway, whatever. Try and wrap your ha- head around that. Okay, so here's, here's the text message. This stupid statements are so far out there. And by the way, if you missed that story, this is not like some weirdo crackpot, you know, professor on some obscure university that has come out with this theory. This is the Oregon... Department Oregon State Department of Education mm.
0: that's right the people who are saying the rules you can make for your kids in school yes are saying you can't teach that math has an incorrect or correct answer that's right
1: as producer shell said next time she goes to Oregon <laughs> she's going to buy she's going to go up to the counter and Every time she's going to buy something with a penny because they still have pennies in the United States, one cent coin. And when they say, no, you can't buy it for that much, she's going to say, no, but your math is incorrect.
0: That's right. That's right. There's no
1: such thing as a correct answer. You can't say that. Seriously. Okay. This or these stupid statements are so far out there that the devil is trying his psychological warfare to make something simple into confusion.
0: Yep. Yes. Yes. I'm <laughs> yes. very confused by this.
1: <laughs> yes. Like you mentioned, God wants to take God out of the world and what will remain is Babylon. Confusion. The word Babylon means confusion. This is why, you know, I often wondered why the Bible has so much to say about Babylon at the end of time. So, sorry, Satan wants Babylon. Um, did I say God there?
0: Yeah.
1: What, what am I doing? I'm reading this wrong. Um Hey, God out of the world and what will remain is confusion and is Babylon. Um, so what, uh, you know, there is so much in the Bible about Babylon at the end of time and Babylon being confusion. And I've sort of, you know, in the world that I've grown up in, there is less confusion than there's ever been before because there is so much information. But in the last 10 years. It's gone the other way. And it's just spiked in the last three years and it seems to be just J-curving up. Where human beings are just spinning out into insanity left, right, and center, Mm. and have gone so far from reality. And this has become, you know, what started off on on, on the fringes of, you know, with, with people who are struggling with mental illness has now become mainstream and is being put forward as well. This is how we now teach our young people, and this is what we teach our young people. It's just it's really terrifying when you look, you know, to the future if you did not read the Bible and see that Babylon confusion coming in at the end of time is what the Bible says will happen and that this is what we should be expecting in our day and age.
0: Mm. What are the long term implications of basically teaching that there can never be absolutes? You
1: yeah, know? well you've got rid of mathematics, please. Um don't ever let me fly in an aeroplane or drive on a road <laughs> built by one of these engineers where mathematics has no absolutes.
0: Well, even that, what about building a house? Forget about the angles. There's no correct answer. It doesn't there, matter There are if some
1: buildings that have been built that are, you know, supposedly completely postmodern. Yeah, Google postmodern buildings. There's some weird stuff uh, okay, out there, but, right?
0: Mm, yeah. yeah. But okay. I just wouldn't trust your average- You
1: wouldn't want to live in it because it's not functional to begin with. No. Right? And secondly, they have been built to very exacting engineering
0: standards which have a right or wrong. Exactly. That's what I mean. It's still all very precise. Oh, yes. You want your house to fall on your head? But if you're going
1: to – but, you know, see, this was done in a previous area. Let's look to the future and say, okay, where does this go if we actually teach this as truth that mathematics is not – you know, doesn't have a correct or an incorrect answer? Mm. uh, Does that mean that building codes will go out the window?
0: But that's what I mean. This is the long-term implications, right? That's, that's right. Yeah.
1: Uh, I've no more words mm. about that. Okay. <laughs> Another text message is the majority of higher education has been taken over by you-know-who. Yeah. Say, But let's call it the new world order whose job is to take God out from the minds of its students. The world needs Jesus now more than ever, yeah. and are we not glad of the angel of Revelation 18? This was just what I was talking about, wasn't I? Revelation 18: Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That's what the angel says. Mm. The angel of Revelation 18, when his glory will enlighten the whole world. So the glory of see, and, and this is what happens: the angel of the Reve- of Revelation 18 comes down, and his glory, which is symbolic of truth. Mm. His truth enlightens a world that has become Babylon. And the reason that his light shines so brightly is because the darkness is so deep. And it's not until you really, really, truly have a massive amount of confusion that truth and reality will shine forth in in all the power that it can. When you've got lots of truth and lots of reality, then uh, it's not really that bright when all that vanishes and disappears and that angel comes down and lightens the earth with his glory, you know, I see something happening in this passage that I've never actually really seen before because I never really realised just how insane
0: it could really get
1: our world could become. Mm.
0: And I think this is where it's going to be really so incredibly important for us as a church and, and personally as me as a believer in God that I'm not just or we're not just Speaking truths and going, isn't this obvious that it's the obvious thing? And, you know, it's, no, no, it's going to be by a lived experience yes. of following Jesus, who the Bible says is the truth and the way and the life, that people will be able to look and go, oh, that's the contrast. Does that's that make right. sense? Yes. Like, because everyone is full of opinion. The world, like you said, it's so full of information at the moment that you can look anyway and you're like, there's no way to know truth. And if we're just another voice that all we have is voice, mm-hmm. we're just going to get lost in the crowd. And it's only – I really believe it's going to be by the lived experience on an individual and collective level that there's going to be the truth. It's actually that that real experience that people can have of a knowing God that is that light in the darkness and in That's the confusion. Right. Does that make sense?
1: You know, and you look at some of the other statements that came out, you know, from that same article where it talked about how the, the nuclear family with, you know, mother, father, mother and children – is being described as a racist concept that we need to get rid of. And, you know, you you take a statement like that and you then project that into the future. Not Well, you don't have to project in the future. You can look at the present. Yeah. You look at uh, the level of delinquency amongst kids that are raised in a single-parent home. And I was raised in a single-parent home. That's a lot of kids today Mm. uh, grow up in that environment but you look at the level of delinquency from, you know, those kids and it's off the charts. Yeah, yeah. And then you compare that with kids who grow up in a nuclear family following the Christian model uh, and it's a very, very simple formula, you know, and, and those are the kids that are going to, you know, if time lasts, rise to the top of society and going to be the ones who are, the ones who have all of the wealth and the power and whatever else that, you know, people want, but then we'll be blamed for, you know, being, you know, Christian, uh, what's the what's the word, monopolizers or whatever it might mm. be, where in reality what it is, it's the natural result of following the Word of God. And that's what today's Bible study is all about.
0: You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio.
1: Okay, so we're heading over to Isaiah chapter 40. And if you've got some thoughts on this, we'd love to hear your thoughts as well. We've had a few people that have uh, shared their thoughts. So give us a give us a call or give us a text, uh, 1-800-324-843 or text us on 0491-064-669. Uh, love to hear your thoughts on the subject. And let's head into Isaiah chapter 40. We'll start in verse 1 and 2, but we're going to read the first eight verses and then go back over them. Uh, a little bit. So, just uh, smash me. out those all those smash verses. Smash out of all the all all eight verses.
0: All right. Before I read, I'm going to just pray um, quickly. Papa Lord God, I just want to thank you so much that we have the chance again um, this morning to open your Word. Um, I thank you for your compassion that is new towards us every day. And as we read, um, God, we, may we just have a clearer picture of you and ourselves. Just give us your Spirit that um, yeah, we can know your truth and know who you are. Amen. Okay. So, 40 verse one reads, "Comfort, comfort my people," says your God. "'Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. "'Tell her that her sad days are gone "'and her sins are pardoned. "'Yes, the Lord has punished her twice over "'for all her sins. "'Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, "'Clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. "'Make a straight highway through the wasteland "'for our God. "'Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills. "'Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Verse 5, then the glory of the Lord will be revealed "'and all people will see it together. "'The Lord has spoken. "'A voice said, shout. "'I asked, what should I shout?' Shout that people are like the grass. Their beauty fades as quickly as the flowers in a field. The grass withers and the flowers fade beneath the breath of the Lord. And so it is with people. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord, uh, the Lord, word of our God stands forever.
1: Okay, so recently I was given a new car. Nice. Well, not a new car, but a, another a, a given a car. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I was given a secondhand car, but I was given it. You know, I, well, it's I new for you. It was new for me, a yeah. new for me car. Yeah. Which is always really awesome. Mm -hmm. And it's a really awesome car. It's a a ute. Nice. Uh, And it's, um, see if you've ever heard of this before, it's an Asia Rockstar.
0: Look, it means nothing to me, but I've seen the car. You've seen the car.
1: It's very cool, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay, so when I was given this new car, um, and I've actually owned one of these once before, way back in the distant past, and they're very cool. They're kind of like a little Jeep. So just think of a uh, CJ5 Jeep. And that'll give you a mental image of what I'm talking about. And they have leaf springs on all four corners.
0: I don't know what that means.
1: A leaf spring is also known as a cart spring. So this is technology that has been around since, well, I really don't know when, Mm. but probably 3000 BC. Oh, nice. Nice. I don't know how old the leaf spring has been around for,
0: Mm.
1: but a very, very long time. And it's not very good. (laughs) Okay. Okay, It does have its advantages and disadvantages. The advantage is that, well, you kind of don't need shock absorbers because they have a shock absorbing effect kind of built into them by their very nature. So if you break a shock absorber in the bush, you're going to get home. Mm. Uh, What's another advantage? You can put heavy weights on there, heavy load on them. They have very good load-bearing capacity, and so you'll still see some vehicles uh, today that will have leaf springs in the rear if they're going to be carrying heavy loads. Mm. Uh, Another advantage is if you break one in the bush, you can cut down a tree and make one out of a piece of tree and get yourself home. Unlike um, Yeah, all, these are all handy things. These unlike, you know, say coil springs or uh, struts, McPherson struts or uh, torsion bars, which, you know, you can't do that with any of those kind of systems. Mm. You break those in the bush and, yeah, you're going to be struggling. Okay, so the leaf spring has some advantages, but it has one major, major disadvantage, which is probably, many, why you've probably never owned a vehicle with leaf springs. Uh,
0: yeah, probably. <laughs> now, your
1: dad owns a vehicle that oh, has yeah, yeah. leaf springs in the rear. Mm-hmm. What's your dad got?
0: He's got a nineteen fifty something FJ Holden.
1: FJ, there you go. Awesome vehicle, yes, a right real there. cool car. <laughs> yes. Okay, so um, that has definitely got leaf springs. So, what are in the, the disadvantages?
0: Rear. What does it actually mean?
1: The disadvantages are that if you've ever ridden in a cart,
0: mm-hmm. it's rough. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: And my little Asia Rockster, as much as I love it, it is so <laughs> incredibly. Rough to ride in. I drove it back from Sydney, and by the time I get back, I got back. I think you know, I I lost my spine somewhere around <laughs> about Arimba Hill, and my spleen fell out as I was coming through Curry. You know, it's just <laughs> brutally, brutally rough.
0: So we should be thankful that we have an intact Lyle here this morning. And so you know.
1: You've got a new car, and as you do when you've got a new car, it's like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to show this off. And so, you know, Sabbath morning comes and I'm going to church, and I'm like, we'll take the Rockstar. Yeah. And it's kind of a cute little car, and so Shell's like, yeah, we'll take the Rockstar. Well, Shell still hasn't recovered from that, and that was like <laughs> six weeks ago. She put a neck out just riding in the car, <laughs> literally. And this was after I let the tyre pressures down to 18 PSI, to try and get some kind of, you know, soft. you know, Most most full drives are running about forty. Mm. Um, my tires are looking half flat because I'm trying to I'm trying to make a uh, a softer ride out of it. Um, which all brings us to our story here that we have in the Book of Isaiah.
0: I'm slightly curious where you're going with this. It was oh. a great story, but I was wondering. <laughs>
1: all right, so that brings us to our story. You see, the Bible here is talking about making a highway.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: Make it straightening out some roads, Mm -hmm. removing the bumps. Yeah. And in ancient times, well, when the king had to travel, Mm. he traveled in a cart or a chariot that probably used the same technology that my little rockster has. Yeah. And probably was, wasn't as good a version of it as my Rockster because he didn't have rubber tyres that he could let down to uh, very low tyre pressures so that he could make them nice and soft mm. to soften out the road. Uh, and he would have been jolted and jostled all day long.
0: Also couldn't go as fast as a car. I only had horse. Yes. So that slows it down a little bit.
1: Slows it down a bit. Mm. Uh, doesn't mean you're not going, you're going to be jolted any less.
0: <laughs> True.
1: Just going to be jolted and jostled and bumped all day long. Because you've got to remember that those mm. wheels are made out of wood, yeah, probably with an iron ring around it. Mm. That's going to be rough. That's going to feel every bump that there is in the road. You know, you get a rubber tyre and when it goes over a stone, it wraps itself around the stone so that the vehicle itself doesn't actually lift. Yeah. The stone just pushes up into the tyre. But when you've got a hard steel iron rim, the whole vehicle lifts over every single stone that there is. Mm -hmm. Now you can imagine on those roads that are travelled by lots of people and lots of animals, lots of cattle, lots of horses, lots of donkeys, lots of sheep, they're going to take a beating and then lots of carts and lots of chariots you know, roads take a beating and they did not have an asphalt surface like we have on our roads today. So you imagine the condition that those roads would get into fairly quickly. Mm. You, know, you get a bit of rain, turns into mud, the mud dries out, the dirt washes away, all that's left is stones. And so whenever a king was going to travel, there was a roadwork team that went out, before, went out in front of the king. Yeah. Whenever a king was going to travel, that road work team went out and they would prepare the way. They would straighten out the corners. They would fill in the potholes. They would take out the rocks. So the king didn't have as bumpy a ride as he may have had before. All right. Oh, somebody's sending me through some history. Let me see here. Maybe they're not as old as what I thought they were. That's just that's very that's very sad. I thought they were super old, but somebody's saying that they were invented by Obadiah Elliot in 1804. But that's full elliptical or elliptical leaf springs. Mm-hmm. The, the concept of a leaf spring. Concept, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna say goes older than that, but I could be wrong. Maybe I've exaggerated. Okay, but if I haven't exaggerated, then it even makes it worse because now what you've got is an axle. Mm. Salted to a chariot yeah. with no suspension. Mm-hmm. You're going to feel the tiniest stone with that. Mm-hmm. And so you've got this team that goes out to prepare the way. Let's, uh, let's read, what was it, uh, verses uh, 3 to 5 there, I think it was, that Focus on that. Let's read that again and let's find out what kind of a highway is actually going to be built here.
0: All right, verse 3 says, Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, Clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the people will see it together. The that, Lord has spoken.
1: That's actually a freeway then. Mm. Yeah, fill in the valleys, flatten out the hills, yeah. straighten the corners. That's what we call a freeway. You're listening to The Breakfast Joe Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, so we've got our brains trust out there who are madly doing some research for me, which is much appreciated. I was doing some madly doing some research during the song break as well to find out how grossly I had exaggerated <laughs> the invention of leaf springs. So, uh, yeah, around the 1750s through to the 1800s was when the classic elliptical leaf spring as we understand it today was invented. Somebody else has come through with, uh, in around 1300 BC in ancient Egypt, chariots, catapults, and weapons also used an early form of suspension technology. These chariots, thousands of years old, contained comple- complex suspension technology that used springs and shock absorbers. There you go.
0: Interesting.
1: That's pretty cool. So I don't know. Was I wrong? Was I not wrong? You will need to continue doing some research and seeing what you can find out.
0: Mm. Anyway, what we do know is that people did go still ahead of the kings to flatten out these. These roads—that's that's what right. we know.
1: And if you look at, say, the highway, the freeway that, say, runs from here, Newcastle, down to Sydney, you're going to find a freeway that has flattened out a lot of mountains and filled in a lot of valleys and built a whole bunch of bridges. Mm. And that's what's described here in Isaiah chapter 40. If you have you—you've never been to Israel? No. Nah, okay, if there. you go to Israel, uh, you'll find that Jerusalem, which is the capital city, is right up on top of the mountains, and that yeah, you're going to drive up some. Well, if you go up from, say, Jericho, it's quite spectacular, winding up into the mountains, mm. uh, beautiful roads and other areas where you're going to find that the valleys have literally been filled in and the mountains cut down to be able to make roads and freeways so that people can tra- travel around the modern state of Israel. Mm. That did not exist in the time of Isaiah. Yeah, That was, you know, a truly unheard of concept. I mean, filling in a valley was you know, maybe more like what we would consider, consider to be filling in a small ditch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, but what the Bible is talking about here is preparation for the coming of the king. That's right. Now, if we look in our Bibles, we're going to find that, okay, we can, we can read here and we can say, yep, um, you know, there's, there's going to be preparation for the coming of the king. That's, that's all great. And he's going to be coming to his sanctuary. But what's that actually really talking about? Is it talking about modern day freeways? Well, we would say no, Mm. because the Bible says that God doesn't travel on a modern made freeway, that God travels on a chariot that is alive, made out of cherubim, carried by cherubim, that has wheels that are alive and that's how God travels and that God travels through the air. And so, you know, you start to look at the descriptions you've got in Ezekiel chapter 1 or Ezekiel chapter 10, and what you're going to find is that it's kind of a description. Ezekiel is describing things that he doesn't have the words to describe.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
1: It, is, it is beyond his capability to be able to actually describe what is going on. And so, you know, we don't have a concept of uh, what Ezekiel is uh, describing right here how God travels but we do know that it has nothing to do with driving over a smooth road. So let's go to Matthew chapter 3 and verse 3 and let's find out does the Bible shed any more light on this subject? Mm. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 3. Go for it. it says man. that
0: the prophet Isaiah was speaking about John This is John the Baptist. I'm going to read verse one, actually. Can I get that two? Yeah, give us some context. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah, which is what we were just reading, was speaking about John when he said, here is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road from him. Just that verse? Keep going? Uh, Keep going. Okay. John's clothes were woven from...
1: No, no, that'll do. Okay.
0: Fantastic. Yeah, my
1: translation says, you know, clear the way for him, make paths straight. Mm. My, my translation gives a much clearer quotation from Isaiah yeah. um, and sort of goes into the whole Isaiah passage. Yours is abbreviated a bit there. Mm. But that's okay. We get the point here. He's quoting from Isaiah and he's saying that John the Baptist is a fulfillment of what Isaiah is talking about. Yeah. So what was John the Baptist actually accomplishing? Was John the Baptist going around with a pick and a shovel, making a straight road for Jesus to come on?
0: Well, no, he was really trying to get the people to have their hearts prepared for receiving like Jesus when he came. Right? He's like, hey, you need to repent. There are things you need to be aware of in your own life so that we can be ready for the kingdom of heaven. It's near, it's coming. Are we ready?
1: Okay, so this prophecy in Isaiah then is all about preparing our hearts for the coming of Jesus. Yeah. Jesus. That's right. Which is a great prophecy to come, you know, where it does because it's going to be talking a lot about, you know, Babylonian captivity. Once again, they're going to be in captivity in Babylon and uh, they would come to the conclusion very easily and very quickly that they're done as a nation. Mm. It's over. And yet there are these prophecies here like, no, go back, build straight paths, you know, build a highway for the coming of the Messiah because it's going to come. Mm-hmm wasn't a literal highway. It was a highway in your heart.
0: But it would have actually been a great object lesson for the people to understand. Like how much more easy is it to understand a concept if you have a physical picture, right? So they, they were living in a time where you literally had to do this. The king's coming. We have to physically go out, prepare away. way. There's work involved there. You know, there's things that are going a bit wonky that you have to sort out. And then for God to go, hey, this is what this means. You're like, Oh. Yeah, I've seen that takes work, that takes change. Oh, okay. Does that make sense? Like, Mm. I think having those physical things are really helpful. And how often do we see God just being like, I'm going to give you everything to understand.
1: (laughs) So God's basically coming along giving us an object lesson of our life and saying, okay, you are like a road. That's right. What does your road look like? Mm. Does it have lots of corners? Does it have lots of bumps? Is it full of rocks and potholes and mud? Mm. And if so- Let's start doing some work on that yeah, thing. Yeah,
0: let's, let's sort that out a bit. Yeah, Let, let's
1: clean it up a bit. Let's yeah. f- start by filling in some valleys, cutting off some mountain tops, straightening out a road. When uh, when I was um, when I was a kid growing up, we used to have this highway called the Hewen Highway, mm-hmm. and there was a massive campaign for many years to straighten out the Hewen Highway. The Hewen Highway, it, there, there was a science to driving the Hewen Highway. <laughs> okay. There really was. There, was. there was an absolute science to driving it because it would literally break a snake's back. It was just the most insane piece of road that you can ever imagine and it would be full of log trucks okay. and millions of corners and uh, the ability to overtake in a very short space was something that commuters on the Hewan Highway refined to a very, very <laughs> fine art. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we used to be able to thread that needle so finely. Uh, it was quite amazing. And all of us who grew up commuting on the Huon Highway, you know, maybe travelling up from the Huon Valley to Hobart to go to school or whatever it might be, have, you know, some memories that are seared into our brains mm-hmm. of having travelled that particular road. It still exists to service, you know, a few properties that are attached to it, but there's a nice highway running through there now. Um, but you know, we got to ask ourselves the question: What does what does my what does my life look like? Does it look like the human highway, or does it look like um, a beautiful freeway? You mm-hmm. know, for Jesus to walk on. And what can Jesus do to straighten out my life and to straighten out my road? You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. It is now time for uh, we'll something good. Question
0: of the day. Okay, our question today is we're continuing on in Daniel chapter 9 is it the Messiah? or the Antichrist, that confirms the covenant. So this was sent in by a listener. We kind of covered it the other day, but we're going to expand a little bit more. Yeah,
1: we need to cover a little bit more detail on this um, because we've been been dealing with a a series of questions here. And by the way, I should say that we've had some questions come in about Absalom. Mm really interesting story, and we're going to get to those tomorrow. Maybe we'll play the Absalom song again, (laughs) who knows. But uh, the Bible says in Daniel 9 and verse 26, After 62 weeks shall Messiah be cut off, Jesus Christ would die, Mm. Um, but not for himself. He died for you and I. Then the Bible says, And the people of the prince that will come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and under the end of the war desolations are determined. So we know that Jesus died after that 62-week period, right on time, 31 AD. We know that he died for us. He didn't die for himself. And we know that the Roman general Titus came and destroyed the city and the temple uh, and brought a great invasion there. The flood—the word flood, of course, we noted yesterday is a word that the Bible uses to symbolise an invasion. Then the Bible goes on in verse 27 it says, And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. The question here is, who is the he in this verse? Mm. Because it's not capitalised. So when it is not capitalised, that means that it is not clear and possibly open to interpretation as to who the he might be. Mm, And the reason that this comes about is because the grammatical antecedent for he is the prince who comes and destroys the city and the temple and brings an invasion. And so a lot of people have concluded, therefore, the he has to be the Roman general Titus. Except that the Roman general Titus never confirmed a covenant with anybody. And so others have come along and said, well, maybe this is more symbolic of the Antichrist at the end of time who converts, uh, confirms a covenant at the end of time. However... To come to that conclusion, you have to ignore the fact that this is a piece of Hebrew poetry. And when you look at it as a piece of Hebrew poetry, the grammatical antecedent is not the prince, but the Messiah. Mm. Because by placing it into a poetic form, you change the context of what comes before this. And the answer to that, we noted this, and I'll go through it very quickly. Hebrew poetry works on the concept of repetition, so you'll have the same structure being repeated, 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 repeated. In verse 24, the Bible says, 70 weeks are cut off for your people, to your holy city, to finish transgression, make an end of sins, make reconciliation for iniquity. That was Jesus Christ. And to anoint the most holy. That's the temple. So it goes Jesus or Messiah and then temple. Then verse 25, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem to the Messiah. Mm. So here comes Messiah again. Um, to Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Then it goes, the street and the wall will be built in t- troublous times. That's the city and the temple. So Messiah, city, temple. Then you go verse 26, after 62 weeks shall Messiah be cut off. And then it goes on, and the people of the prince that will come shall destroy the city and the temple. So the structure is Messiah city temple, Messiah city temple, Messiah city temple, which means that the grammatical antecedent for the he right here is the Messiah.
0: Mm.
1: So it actually makes it the Messiah. The next thing that we can notice is that he is confirming the covenant. Now, there is no earthly covenant anywhere in scripture that is ever made by the Antichrist. That's simply a verse that does not exist anywhere in the Bible. And to create one is simply a figment of imagination and you have to invent it out of thin air. Um, So that's the the second point that we've got right there. The next one that we've got to look at is that uh, the covenant that is the covenant you find in the Bible is the everlasting covenant. Mm. And the covenant that is confirmed in the Bible, the Bible says you shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Galatians 3.17 – and this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before God in Christ, that's the only covenant that is ever confirmed in the Bible, is the everlasting covenant, okay? Um, and so that's the, the next thing we need to look at. The next thing we need to look at is that in Hebrew writing, the subject matter is always assumed, Okay, so the subject matter of this passage is not the Antichrist. There's no mention of the Antichrist anywhere in the passage. Mm. The passage is silent on the subject of the Antichrist. And uh, the subject of the passage is the Messiah. And subject matter is always assumed. You're reading about Messiah, 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 Messiah. Oh, guess what? Antichrist. That doesn't make any sense right? Um, the third thing, or the fourth thing that we need to look at is that to have a covenant with the Antichrist, you have to create a gap between verse 26 and verse 27 of about 2,000 years. Mm-hmm. And the only way you're going to create that is, once again, just by inventing it out of thin air and just like, stating it where there is nothing in Scripture, there is nothing in logic, there is not a single solitary verse to indicate anything that there is a gap.